assemble together in the name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ to read of scripture that was written so many years ago that speaks of the fact of Christ coming. And not just coming, but to the expansion of the Gentiles, of which, Lord, we are. So, Lord, this morning we begin with just simple praise and worship, with humility. And we praise you, Lord, for what Christmas means. Our Savior has come. And we just sing these songs. He has come that he might go to the cross to be our Redeemer. And we praise you, Lord, for your tender mercy, your amazing grace. You are the one who has provided salvation, not in a thousand different ways, but in the one, Christ Jesus, and him alone. Isaiah says it is his name. He he alone is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. And we praise you for Jesus coming. We praise you, Lord, that he dealt not in part, but with all our sins, We praise you, just like the hymn writer, that there will be a day where we will shout praises of acclamation. But when we stand before him in glory, we will humbly bow. For we cannot express enough gratitude, Lord, for Calvary. That you dealt with all our sin, all our brokenness. And it is why you sent Jesus. This is why Christ has come. This is why Christ was born, to deal with our sin problem. And we confess this morning, Lord, all those those sins that easily entangle us. We acknowledge that they separate us from you. We break fellowship from you. They, They grieve you. They are against you. So we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of our our hard heart. Forgive us of wanting our own way. Forgive us for just the multitude of reasons, Lord, where we've looked to self and not to you. And we pray that you would fill us with your spirit afresh and anew, that we would, Lord, just have eyes to see, that we would see sin as it is recorded in your word, that we would call it that, repent of it, confess it, turn from it, and follow you, that we would grow, Lord, in, in our holiness. That we plead, Lord, for your grace and your mercy today. That you'd open our eyes, Lord, to that need. Uh, we pray, Lord, that your word would come alive, that, that we would begin to see, that your spirit would instruct and teach us, that we'd grow in our obedience. We plead, Lord, for your spirit again to fill us afresh and anew as this new year comes to an end and, then, and the next is right around the corner. Let us be those marked out with ambition to praise you, to proclaim you. Lord, we thank you that you love us, you care for us, that you've You are the one who has shined light into our dark life. The prophecy speaks of us. There's darkness in which you've come and have shined. So we thank you, Lord, that there is no end to your kingdom. There's no end to your righteousness, to your justice, to your love. It is forever and ever. Just as you tell us, Lord, it is. And so, Lord, with this confidence of knowing what is in the balance, we pray that this day your church, that each and every one of your redeemed saints would understand, Lord, the need for Christmas, what it means, the the necessity of Christ. I pray that you would awaken your church to the need of Jesus and to the dangers of sin. 
I pray, Lord, that we would stop imbibing the world and the world's culture and we would start proclaiming the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that the gospel would come alive in us. I pray, Lord, over our missionaries, as we often do, that they would be supported, that they would be encouraged, that we continue, Lord, in their calling. We pray over our brothers and sisters suffering around uh, the globe for the name of Jesus. Many have gone into hiding or have given their life for the name of Christ. We pray that comfort would come, encouragement would come, but boldness would stay, Lord, that we would not deviate from the plan of proclaiming Christ. I pray for us this morning to be growing, Lord, in our understanding and in our holiness and our sanctification. I pray that we would be maturing, Lord, in your word, that we would be full of your spirit, that we would speak your truth with confidence and boldness. I pray, Lord, for those this morning going through a hardship or a difficulty. Lord, the physical needs, we cast them, Lord, down at your feet. We ask, God, that you would be merciful and minister to us. You bring about strength and healing to our bodies. I pray, Lord, for those through this season are just wondering, is Christ really real? Is the whole message real? Or is it just something we do at Christmas time? I pray you would, Lord, open our eyes to the power of the gospel of Christ. I pray for those, Lord, going through difficulties, whether it be financial or some other stress. I pray that you would meet our needs and bring glory to yourself. Bring a testimony, Lord, through these uh, situations of life. I pray for our nation and our states and our community leaders. We pray, Lord, you give us leaders that seek truth and righteousness and justice. And Lord, if the ones we have will not do that, if you will not turn their hearts towards what is right and just, please give us leaders that will. Let us have a hunger, Lord, for righteousness for your name's sake. We pray, Lord, over our community and those who serve in our community to keep it safe, our first responders and those in the, the medical field and those who serve in, in uh, different areas. God, we ask for your protection. We ask uh, that you would strengthen our community, that we'd stand against the unrest that we see happening in the world. But I pray, Lord, that our involvement in it, that we would be those consumed with outreach, consumed with the understanding of what Christmas is, the necessity of Christ, and we'd have a message to share, to live, to present. So, Lord, we ask, and we know that you have fulfilled Christ has come. We know that he's coming again. We know you are the great God, the, the only God. And so we pray with uh, earnestness, Lord, grow your kingdom here, and they would be a part of it. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for Christmas time. Thank you for Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We take, Lord, also time to pray over the offering. May it be an act of worship. And may our hearts be filled with gratitude. Uh, Lord, whether we give on back or online, may, uh, may it be just a simple act of acknowledgement, of worship to you, realizing and knowing we are not defined, Lord, uh, by our resources. All that we have is from you. You call us sons and daughters. Father, thank you. So we pray your blessing of the offering may be used for the furtherance of the kingdom of, and for the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, Father, to all this, we simply say thank you, and we pray it all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this time I'd like to dismiss the children, the children's church. And for the rest of us who are, are young, of course, we're young, um, but just a little bit older. Would you turn your Bibles to, to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 1. 
We're going to look at verses 67 uh, through 79. This being the Sunday before Christmas, we call this Christmas Eve. I thought it would be befitting to say, uh, or look at the scriptures and say, what is, what is the truth? That's what I entitled this message. What is the truth about Christmas? No doubt you have seen every year, right? We have the lights and we have the stuff. We've got the songs. We've got the eggnog, the shows, right? All the things that, that seem to come with this season. But sometimes in the midst of all of that, we lose the central focus of what Chris, Christmas is truly about. Christmas is, a, is truly a rescue mission. Uh, Christmas tells us we have a problem. And there is one answer, and he must step into history. And he must live the sinless life. We are celebrating the birth of Jesus, but there is a reason he has come. When a baby is born, we like to hold a newborn baby and and look at the child, and we marvel at all those things, but that's not why Jesus has come. He has come that he might go to the cross. He has come that he might die. Now, I know that puts a little damper on. We think of Christmas and lights and presents. No, Christmas means you and I have a sin problem. It shouts this. But this is what we're celebrating. And for us, we live in this culture, and the culture, no doubt, has created Christmas. There's always a counterfeit to anything the Lord says is good, and, and uh, we see this throughout our, our history. Christmas has become many other things. Easter has become about Easter bunnies and eggs. I don't know how that happened, but it's right. That's what the world looks to. And uh, there's a counterfeit, and then there's a reason that the evil one always wants to attack what is true. This is the gospel. This is uh, what changes life. This is what moves you from uh, the, uh, the family of Adam, right, the family of Satan, to the adoption by the power of Christ to the family of Jesus, Uh, This is the message of Christmas. It is uh, the beginning of the gospel. Christ must come. He must be sinless. Otherwise, we cannot have a sinless Savior. It all begins here. The book itself, the Bible, is a rescue mission. It is a book about redemption. Sin enters the world in the third chapter of Genesis. Christ enters, right? All the prophecies that speak of him. He comes into history. The gospels tell us who he is, how to follow him, how to know him. The early church is established to communicate, to evangelize, and it tells us he's coming again. It's about him. It's about what he has done. It's about the fact that he had to come because you and I had a problem. And none of us are innocent of it. We had a sin problem, we're born into it. Well, we realize that also that we can shout these things, but the world, right, has its own ideas, especially of Christmas, and, and there's countless movies with just, I don't know how they get Christmas into some of these movies, but it's okay, that's a Christmas movie. Um, and they're devoid of anything that has to do anything spiritual. But it reminded me of this story. There was a time back in, in 1879 where there was a reporter, and he was uh, in Boston. He was around the time of, of Dwight Moody, and uh, he was watching, uh, he was one of those reporters that just kind of wanted to catch Moody in his, in his problems and kind of you know, write about it and kind of expose these things. But uh, on his way to one of the, the services, he noticed that there were three girls, it was around Christmas time, and they were looking into this window and there was all these toys there. 
And one girl was blind. And he marveled at the other two girls who kept trying to communicate and explain to the blind girl, their friend, you know, what they were seeing and the colors and the shapes. And he just thought how difficult this reporter sat there and marveled at this, at the, the lengths that her friends would go to explain the toys that they were seeing in the window. And he thought how difficult it must be to explain to someone Right? Who cannot see it, can experience it, what you're experiencing. Well, he wrote this. This was a, this, the heading for his, his thing. He put it in the paper. And he wrote this article about this experience. And a few weeks later, he was attending uh, Dwight Moody's service, as he wanted to do, and try to catch him in, in an air somewhere. But to his amazement, Dwight Moody mentions this story. Dwight put a little spin on it spiritually. He said, this is what it's like when Christians try to explain the glory of Christ, the need of Christ, the message of Christmas to a world that just can't see it. And isn't it amazing, out of our reading, and we'll see it again, Zechariah's prophecy, there must be a light that must shine. Christ must come. I would say today, much of the world, I don't know what they're running with. You know, what you win them with is what you win them to. They're running with whatever story is popular. This is whatever they may think of Christmas. Um, and unfortunately, in, in many of our churches today, I don't, I don't think they understand what this is about. Christmas shouts, we have a problem, and it's the beginning of God's rescue mission. Listen to the words of Zacharias. This is his prophecy here in Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 67, and, the, and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that, that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise, me, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias is speaking of John making the way straight in the fact that Christ is coming. Let me offer a brief prayer as we begin to look at this passage. Father, once again, we call upon your great name and ask God that your spirit would be with us, that you would open our eyes to the truth of what is being, what is being explained to us here. Let us, let us understand this prophecy 
Let us realize, Lord, the, the fact that Christ has come. These have been fulfilled. Let us rest in that. Let us trust in that. And let us grow, Lord, in you. I pray you get me out of the way that we would receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you imagine, we've read this passage and nowhere did we see chestnuts roasting on an open fire and Jack Frost nipping at your nose in this prophecy. Uh, clearly those things are, are not inside the scope of what uh, this message, the fact that Christ is coming, is about. Salvation deals with just the messy fact that we are sinners. Christmas, I know we don't always think like that. Hey, it's Christmas time. I have a sin problem. It's usually not what we equate together. This is the fact. God is moving in the earth. He is sending his son. We have a problem. There's no hope for us. He knows us. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He's got the, the hairs on your head numbered, and he's good at subtraction. Right? Every year, we lose them. He knows those. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what we need. And just as the angels, we sang that song earlier, Hark the herald angels sing, Luke 2, verse 11, For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Lord knows what we need. Here we see Zacharias, if you're familiar with this story, he is uh, he's, he's, uh, an angel comes to him and tells him what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. And he probably scratches his head. Where does John come from? That's not in the scripture passages, but I can imagine that. Because uh, they were questioned about the name. Of course, he is doubting. He's unsure. He questions whether this can actually happen. Can my wife and I have a son? We're old in age. So the angel silences his mouth. He's unable to speak. We realize then the moment comes, John is, is born, they ask his name, he writes it down immediately, his mouth is open, his name will be called John. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, he gives this wonderful message for us, and it is what I call the title of this message, The Truth About Christmas. God is sending a forerunner, John the Baptist is coming, he is going to prepare the way for the one who will come who will deal with our greatest need. See, this Christmas is not, even though we enjoy you know, personal fulfillment at Christmas time, the light singing songs, it's not about that. I, we enjoy maybe giving gifts or receiving gifts. It's not about those things, even though they, they might be okay, right? They're, they're not even about being with family, even though family is a blessing of the Lord. That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas goes beyond all those things, and it goes right to the, to the greatest need of your soul, reconciliation with your Creator. Scripture is replete with, with this truth. There's not a work on the planet we can do to save us. God is aware of this. He sends a Savior. God acts. It is a good time. I know Christmas for many of us, it could be difficult, loss of loved ones and family, but for the Christian, there should be an element of joy, a joy that's eternal, because his love does not change. So we need, uh, this is our greatest need, reconciliation, and this, Zechariah's prophecy is 
themed on salvation. He's explaining to us uh, what's going to happen. He mentions the accomplish of redemption in verse 68. He mentions the horn of salvation in verse 69. He speaks of salvation from our enemies in verse 71. He says that we, he will give us knowledge of salvation in verse 77, and that we might be rescued from the hand of our enemies in verse 74. It is replete with the realization that you have a problem, I have a problem. There is one who is going to clear the way, and the one that follows him is going to go to Calvary. And pay for our sins on the cross. Merry Christmas. This is my first point. Salvation is initiated by God alone. By God alone. Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Because God so loved the world, he decided to place his son in it. That's an amazing fact. He so loves you that Christ would come. Now, there's nothing forcing God to love you. I know you may think, I'm pretty good. I'm an easy guy to love. I'm good. There's nothing like that that forces God to love us. God is, out of his own attribute, his character, love. And so he moves. Salvation is of the Lord. We see this in verses 68 and 70. If you go back and look at the passage, we see these words visited us or visit us. In 68, it says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. He's the one who's coming. And we see the past tense and accomplished redemption for his people. We see in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God, there's the, the, the mode of action, the, uh, the, the MO for the Lord, right? The mode of operation tender mercy of God with which the sunrise, capital S, from on high will visit us. There's the language of Isaiah there we just read in our scripture reading. So the point is we're, we didn't go searching for him. and We read in the gospel account of three wise men. Even they weren't sure what they were looking for, but no one is desiring him. No one is going after him. We seem to be in this lull of 400 years of silence and then God moves. Christmas. God visits us. Why? He knows our helpless condition. He knew this back in Genesis chapter 3. And he met our enormous need in the person of Jesus. So we see these prophecies. He's been speaking this over and over and over again. Found in the Old Testament, we see Joseph, right? The idea of God visiting his people. Uh, Genesis 50, 24 and 25, we see Joseph speaking that God will come. God will visit his people. And see, in, in, in Zechariah's time, the, there has been nothing. There's been 400 years of silence. And no doubt they're, they're thinking maybe God has forgotten about us. We're, and we're under Roman occupation here. Uh, there's something wrong. God has, has left us. He's forgotten about us. And we haven't heard a word. But then, right, the birth of John, the forerunner. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He is the one visiting us. He is coming. I can imagine if you were living in poverty and are in a desperate situation and someone who had means to do something about it came and visited you, I'd imagine your response would be, I'm going to receive some help here. Look what God does. 
We see Zacharias telling us there's one, he's coming. John will prepare the way Jesus is coming, the horn of salvation is coming, but it's not just enough to send him. And Christ becomes, right, born in a, in a manger. He comes in the normal way of, of birth. He's born into desperate situation, to uh, living uh, under the miseries of life. He deals with the human condition, yet without sin. He took on human flesh. He wasn't born as a mighty king. He wasn't born with, with means. He wasn't born with all those blessings. He was born in weakness, in a stable, in frailty, yet without sin. And yet we still know that even this is not enough for our God. It's not just that he's come, which is a miracle. But we know that the purpose of his life and his sinless life is to go and be a propitiation, an atonement for us. At Calvary, Paul grabs this perfectly in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, having this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what it means when God says he visits us. He didn't come in for a slice of pie and a cup of coffee and say, that was good, see you later. That might be enough for some of us. I'd be like, amen, pie, coffee. You had me at pie, right? What does it mean, right? The Son of God who is royal, invisible, invulnerable, un unapproachable. What does it mean he emptied himself? He visits us and he empties himself. Well, he's no longer invisible. He became visible. He's the image of the invisible God. He was no longer invulnerable. He became vulnerable to suffering, to temptation, even to death. His special presence was no longer only in heaven, but he manifested himself on earth. He came down from heaven. He's no longer only enthroned in supreme majesty, but lived a lowly life. He knows what it's like to stub his toe. Everyone said, amen, that's a rough one. He's no longer unapproachable. See, no one can approach God and live. It's as if, right, he, he dwelt in lethal light, if you will. His holiness. A continence, right, that kills. But he dwelt among men. He was approachable. We could embrace him. We could laugh with him. We could hug him. Thus, this is what it means. He emptied himself. He abased himself, he divested himself of the former glory to which we would say, why would God do this? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. God so loved. Isn't that what Zacharias is saying? God so loved. 
This is where Christ is going. This is what he's going to endure. This is what the birth is saying. And because we deserved it, because we could earn it, but it's something only Christ could accomplish. He was redemption for his people, 68. And he was raised up, or has been raised up as a horn of salvation in the house of David. So the horn, right, the symbol we see in, in verse 69, the horn of salvation, it's taken from Psalm 18.2. Listen to these words. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Salvation is strong. What has he provided? Not something that's fleeting or something that might work or like it's 50-50. No, when we speak of Scripture and Christ accomplishing salvation, it is secure, not just today, not just tomorrow, but every day you live on this earth throughout eternity. This is what he has accomplished for us. This is the message of Christmas. It is God visiting us, Christ emptying, emptying himself. Why? So that we can be saved. I don't know about you, but that's worth singing about. I mean, join my voice to the angelic chorus. God has done something that is truly amazing. When he does it, he tells us he's going to do it. He's been telling us he's going to do it, and then he fulfills it. Do you realize that in the 400 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus? You understand the mathematical problem here of one man fulfilling all those, all those prophecies. It's like taking the state of Texas, filling it with quarters a foot deep, wrapping a blindfold around your eyes, taking one quarter, marking it with an X, randomly throwing it into the state of Texas, which we all know is the biggest one out there, right? Three of them fit in Alaska, I think. That was <laughs> throwing that one quarter, that one quarter, one one foot deep of quarters in the state size of Texas. You being blindfolded, one chance picking up that quarter. That's God visiting us. That's the miracle of Christmas. They all point to Jesus. God, over and over again, we see this. Even in verses 72 and 73, right? God keeps his promises to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God has told us, I will come. I will bring one. Savior will come. It's the covenant he had with Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And to all the families of the earth will be blessed. He sets a covenant up and he tells us, Zacharias is telling us, he will fulfill it. This is why Jesus told all the Jews who contended with him, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad over and over again. We see this fulfillment, God initiating and acting and bringing about salvation. John the Baptist's coming, fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3, 3, 1 and 4, 5. There's a messenger who will come. Luke grabs that into Luke 1, 17. He is the forerunner. 
The point is simply this. Salvation is apart from any human initiative, any human efforts, any human merit, any human ability. God told us about it. God kept his promises. He fulfilled it. He provided Jesus. We can't earn it. But this is the message of Christmas. So we see, right? Here's the message. Here's the me- it's initiated by God, and it's achieved through the one, Christ alone. We might think today, this is my second point, salvation is achieved through Christ alone, verse 69. We might think that <clears throat> if there's one way to be saved, there's probably two. And if there's two, there's four. If there's four, there's eight, and go on and on and on and so forth. That's not what Scripture says. There is one and only one. There is one who has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, Jesus' name is not mentioned specifically in this prophecy, but he is described. The horn of salvation from the house of David is simply speaking of Christ. It is the fulfillment of what he will accomplish uh, Jesus is the one who descended right from the tribe of Judah through David, Matthew 2, uh, excuse me, Matthew 1, 2 through 17, Luke 3. There's no doubt this is what we're speaking about. Uh, salvation, which is initiated by God, is only through Christ. Uh, Christ himself is the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I got, there's a few ways to salvation, I'm going to tell you the Scripture blatantly says no. There is one. And praise God, there is one. And that one is sufficient, not for some of your sin, but for all of it. We see this again, John's uh, prophecy in Luke 1.76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way. So John goes and prepare the way for who? The Lord. Uh, John recognized the, di- uh, the, uh, the divinity excuse me, of Jesus, and he affirmed it when he says this, uh, is he on, on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I For he existed before me. Out of John's own own mouth, he is telling us it is Christ. Christ alone. There is no other. And Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And we see this in Isaiah's prophecy. There is a light that will shine to the Gentiles. So Zacharias is saying the same thing. There is a light that must shine. Jesus is saying, I am that light. Again, we must stress there is no salvation outside of Christ. It shows the Christmas time, the birth of a sinless Savior, again, the, the drastic need you and I have whether we see that or not. So God initiates this. This is Christmas. God has sent Christ. There's been 400 years of silence. 
And then we're, we're speaking, we're running, we're gunning. John's on the scene. He's eating locusts and honey, and he's preaching without fear. Uh, the gospel telling those to repent and to believe and to be baptized. And then we see, right, Christ come, and it is Christ who is the one who will secure our salvation. Uh, this leads to my third point. Salvation is necessary. This is their message. Uh, they just didn't go from, hey, here's a, a, this little guy, Jesus. He's a little baby, and uh, he's got this great sense of humor. He smiles at the funniest things, and, and they walk away and do nothing about it. No, it goes to a purpose. It goes to a message. It goes to a life. It goes, right, to the, again, to every soul. There's a message that we need to hear. Uh, what we need to realize is, uh, friends, we don't get into heaven on a technicality. Uh, Christmas is shouting this. You don't get to heaven uh, because of loopholes. You don't get to heaven because you sang louder or looked better or you know, loved your neighbor more or whatever else you might want to fill in there. This whole prophecy with Scripture is saying there is one way. It's a narrow way, and you better be sure you're on it because there's none other. Yes, there's another way, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. There's many on the Broadway. Right? It goes to hell. You don't want to go that way. But through the narrow way, we come in with eye contact. I see Jesus, and he sees me. He sees you. Without speaking a word, he knows your train wreck of your life. And you might have that moment when you're looking at his eyes and going, there's no way this can save me. To which Christ will respond, my blood is sufficient. Go through the narrow way. Salvation is necessary for redemption. 71, verses 71 and 74 says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 74, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. What was missed here is this prophecy is speaking of a national deliverance. It references the day in which Christ will return and bring all under authority into his kingdom. And this is what the Jews of, of John and Jesus' day were running with. They thought he's going to come, he's going to wipe out the, the Romans, he's going to take care of all our bad guys, we don't like them, Lord, just wipe them out. In Jesus' name, yes, we'll place that on there, we'll make us feel better, but take care of it. But this is not the message we see from John nor Jesus. There's no banners flying saying this is a political takeover, follow me. John's message was to give, in verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. Luke tells us in Luke 3, 3, that John preached a baptism of repentance. What is John's message? Repentance. Why? It's necessary. Your soul is heading to hell. Repentance is necessary. That's his message. His message is look to Christ. It's the only means. Imagine John telling all these Jews, guys, 
It's because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you get in. Imagine the offense there. What are, you, what are you telling me? I'm a good, pious Jew. I'm the chosen few. What is John saying? No. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. They thought being born into Israel, this is, this is it. We're born into Israel. We're born into Israel. We're good. What is Jesus' message? It's no longer into Israel in which we are to become. John chapter 15, Jesus has replaced Israel. He has become the vine. See, God cannot overlook sin. He's not going to overlook it. He has to deal with it. This is why Christ has come. God is just and holy. He must maintain right, those standards. So he must do these things. Otherwise, he ceases to be God. See, we don't get in because we're Americans. Some today think we might, you know, I'm a good person. What's your standard? Well, I, I'm good. I just go with it. I am. We stack it against what God demands. God demands perfection. Your goodness falls miserably short. Are you going to stand at the last day and the last breath of your life and go, yeah, I'm pretty good. I've got this locked down. I fear for you if that's what you're thinking. So we get in only through Christ. We must realize that Jesus today is available. Why? Because God is full of mercy. And all those who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ have a hope of eternity with him. It's that. But when Jesus returns, with which this prophecy is speaking to, there will be no repenting. There will be judgment. That's the reality. Why is salvation necessary? Get your soul right and reconciled to Christ. Why is Christmas so important? Because this is the beginning of what we see of the rescue mission. It is necessary that Christ came. It is necessary that he was born innocent. Otherwise, we don't get the Savior. Zechariah says in verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What does that mean? The world thinks, right? Whatever it wants to think about Christmas, it's devoid of anything spiritual, but the world is lost. Zacharias is telling us the world is going around as if they are blind. And they're good with it. They're in darkness. They sit in darkness. They sit in the shadow of death. They can't sleep because of the fears of life, the dread they huddle in darkness, hoping for something. This is where the Christian can say, friend, let me do my best to explain to you, as a person spiritually blind, the glories and the mercies of Jesus Christ. Let him shine in your darkness. This is the picture, isn't it? We were born blind and we think we're good. I'm born in darkness and think this is, this is the only way. This is what it is. I'll take my chances. I'm, I'm okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bed at night and yeah, I don't have peace, but I think I'm okay. How do I reference that? I don't know. There's a story of 
Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman spoke of what he called the prodigal son who had come home to his mother's funeral. And he lay by the casket of his mom, his deceased mother, and he wept bitterly. And the father at the appropriate time thought this was enough, and he said, son, it's time to stop weeping. It's time to go. And hoping to help his son a little bit in his grieving process, he said, we will see mother again. The boy, understanding his plight, responded and said, yes. Yes, dad, you and sister shall see her again. I know, but I shall not, for I'm not going that way. There are many, right, at Christmas time who are not going that way. Christmas is to be a message that shouldn't get lost in all of the lights and all of the crazy movies and shows. Christmas speaks to our greatest need. Salvation. People need to hear that Jesus died for them. Are you tired of going to bed at night in fear? Are you tired of your broken life? Are you tired of all the pain? Are you tired of suffering? Don't just sit there and weep. Come to Christ. God is full of mercy. It is his tender mercy upon you. God has compassion on sinners. God has compassion on you and me. Stop thinking you're good. Start realizing your need. Realize that you are created and God must, he must judge sin. At the end of your life, you will simply stand there on your own accord thinking you're good enough. Or you'll stand at the end of your life in front of that judgment seat and plead the blood of Christ to which he is more than sufficient, to which is acceptable to our God. Years ago, there was a man named Dr. Bernardo, and he ran an orphanage in London. He was approached by a dirty, ragged little boy who had asked and desired to be admitted. The doctor looked at him and said, but my boy, I don't know you. Why you. Why should you come here? The boy quickly looked upon himself and realized he had nothing but his rags and he simply presented him to his hopeful person who would let him in the orphanage and said, sir, if you please, this, this is all I have that recommends me is my rags. With tears in his eyes, he grabbed the kid and said, that's more than enough. The question this morning is, do you need forgiveness? 
Do you feel that this love is too far away? Do you feel you're on the outside and think this is too good for me? Well, then my friend, I would encourage you to present your rags. Present your brokenness. Cast your life down and call upon his name. And begin to realize and learn what Christmas is all about. Redemption. God is more than willing. He has tender mercy for you today. And so we see this is the truth of Christmas. It is God initiating a rescue mission, right? It is God alone doing this. It is achieved through Christ and him alone. It is necessary because you and I are born uh, with a sin problem. Uh, We're born into those rags, and for some reason, sin has so blinded us that we think that's the right way. But God has an answer for that. This leads to my last point. When we come to embrace Christ, we've held him, not his fingertips, when we've embraced him, when salvation has come, it results in a life that is changed. It's a life of what I call holy service. He says in verses 74 and 75, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So again, just as salvation is not this little child who came in and we just forgot about him, right? He grew up, he had a message, he went to the cross. Same when we come to know Jesus. It's not, okay, we're saved and we go about our own, our own business. God doesn't save us simply that we live happily ever after, even though eternity is ahead of us. We don't live our lives ignoring others. It becomes the desire of a Christian to glorify my Savior. I want to lift him high. I want to follow him, and I want others to come to know him. And I realize that that puts me in the position of two of the girls trying to explain Jesus to the blind. But that is now what I've become along with you. Let me explain Jesus. Let me tell of Jesus. Let me speak of Jesus to a culture that is blind. Let me show compassion. Let me show love. Let me minister to them. See, salvation always results in a changed life. There was a story of a Salvation Army officer. His name was Captain Shaw, and he He went to a medical mission field to a leper colony. When he got there, his eyes had welled up with tears for he he saw three lepers in front of him who were uh, not only uh, uh, criminals, but they were uh, just simply worn down and and overwhelmed with their leprosy. And they were bound by chains. And these chains cut in to their diseased flesh on their wrists and to their ankles. And with tears, he called to the guards and said, Uh, unfasten these chains, but the response was that it's not safe. These men are criminals. And in an act of compassion, the act of the heart of a Christian, he says, I will be responsible. Their suffering is enough. So he took the keys and he himself loosened the chains on their wrists and their arms. Allow these criminals to walk freely. It is said about two weeks later, Captain Shaw had some 
misgivings about that action because he had to leave. He had to leave his wife and his child behind overnight. He had to make a trip and he worried about it. His wife, trusting the Lord, said, we're going to be okay. He goes on the trip. The next morning, Mrs. Shaw went to the door and she was startled to see the three criminals lying on her steps. And one explained, we know the doctor is, is away. We stayed here all night to make sure no harm came to you. That's the response of the doctor's act of love to them. I will serve your family freely. Now the question to us, come to Calvary. Where Christ has taken the chains off of our hands, our ankles, how are we to respond? I pray it's your desire through the Christmas season, throughout the year, that you would live for him. Such a great act of mercy and love for us. And the realization that you have this, not in part, but in whole. You have Christ today. You have him forevermore. But if you are here this morning and you are outside of Christ, I pray for you. Come and experience the truth about Christmas. All the time with family and the time with pie and coffee and fellowship, those are good things, but they're not Christmas. Christmas is the beginning of God's rescue mission. Come, come and believe on Christ. Do what John says, repent of your sins. Believe on the one who can redeem you. And become part of the group of people who will spend the rest of their days proclaiming Christ to a culture that is blind. I'm going to pray here in a moment. We're going to close with this carol, What Child Is This? I chose it based off the first uh, verse. And I, to me, it's, it's the question of the world. But the response in that first verse is the testimony of the church. And it says this, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch their keeping. And isn't that the question? Who is this? What is all this about? The response is the testimony of the redeemed. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him law, the babe, the son of Mary. Before we sing that, let's close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for 